All right, so kids, we do have uh, some Play-Doh here. If you want Play-Doh, you can come on up. I actually have some questions first, though. So come on up if you want Play-Doh. Oh, Holly, I know you want some Play-Doh. Come on up, Holly. <laughs> here you go. Here, you can have some Play-Doh. But I also have some questions for people like Eli. So Eli, I have one question. Look up at the screen here and tell me what you see when we go to the next screen. Let's go ahead. And, what do you see there? A face. Okay, awesome. You get that Play-Doh. Okay, Ezra, let's see. Let me ask you a question. What do you see on the next screen? No, the next one. What do you see there? A face. Oh, okay, there you go. All right. Henry, what do you see? A face. A face? Another face. There you go. Okay, here we go. Let's see the next one. What do you see? A face. A face. I'm going to say you're wrong. A ton of faces. I think you're still wrong. A ton of angry faces. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Go ahead. All right. What do you see there? Anybody? You guys can shout it out. What do you see there? A face. That's a surprised face, I think. I don't know what's happening in front of that building, but whatever it is, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? All right. What do you see there? A face. A f- what? That is a diabolical face. <laughs> Clearly, that guy is up to no good. I don't know what he's doing, but... You think he's going to eat something? Yeah, because he's got sharp teeth. What about, that? what about that one? What do you see? He's got a sad face. Yeah, it's so sad. Because he's just hanging there. He's like, why am I hanging? And his arms are like, why am I hanging here, huh? All right. <laughs> Let's see. What about that one? A worried face? Definitely. That guy is worried. And... Uh, maybe a little concerned. It's like, what? This is my favorite one. What do you see there, Zach? Uh, a church face. face? Kind of looks like almost a duck. A chick face. <laughs> all right, that's all of them. But thank you guys so much for playing. Uh, Caitlin, can you do me a favor and just as you walk back, can you pass any out to any extra kids that might not have, might not have come up here? There's another box too, if you wanted to. Take two boxes. That's a lot to carry, I know. We're asking a lot of you, but I think you can do it. All right, so did you guys catch a theme there? Did you see something going on? Those weren't actually faces. I know somebody's going to listen to this audio at some point, and so we have to clarify. Those were pictures of just random objects, right? But in all of those random objects, we could see faces. So even like the angry faces, those were just pretzels, right? I don't know about you, but I see faces in a lot of things. Even like in my shower, every time there's tiles, and sometimes when I'm just sitting there thinking about things, I just look at all the random patterns in my tiles, and I'm like, there's so many faces in this tile. And so this morning, as I was even thinking about this today, I asked Jen, hey, what do you see in our tile? And she goes, oh, there's this, what did you call it? There's this gnome face in our tile. It's like, oh, I haven't seen the gnome yet, but I've seen a lot of other faces. So I see faces all over the place, and there's actually a reason for this, and that is our brains are designed to see organization. Our brains are designed to see structure. So anytime we see something that's kind of chaotic looking, our brains want to, want to create something out of it, want to add some structure. And they discovered this in World War II while people were listening to radios. So they had all these men, they, you know, they needed this radio communication, and so they had these men that would just sit, and they'd listen to radio static. Well, radio static is a little chaotic, isn't it? 
But our brains can't deal with the chaos. And so eventually what they learned is that these people would start hearing voices. Now these voices were non-existent. But they would hear these voices because our brains want structure. Our brains want organization. And so in the midst of all the fuzz, all the static, their brains would start to create some type of voice. Just like we see faces in things. When we look at stuff, we, want, we don't want chaos. We want structure. God has created us for structure. God has created us with structure in mind, with organization in mind. And yet, we look around and we see a lot of chaos. We see a lot of division. So why is that? That's what we'll be talking about today as we finish our last psalm in Summer in the Psalms. It's actually kind of a transition psalm. It'll be Psalm 133 if you want to turn there. It's going to be a transition psalm because it's going to close out this Summer in the Psalm, but it's also going to introduce our next topic. Our next topic is called, the series is called Better Together. We're going to study Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we're going to look at what it looks like to live together, what it looks like to be together. And so it's going to, Ephesians is going to talk a lot about unity. It's going to give us the reason why we're unified, and it's going to give us some specific, specific instructions on how to be unified. But this is going to be an introduction to that as well. So Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard on the beard of Aaron. Running down on the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So your family probably didn't memorize this one, but my wife definitely had my boys memorize this one pretty early on because, well, unity, brothers dwell in unity, running down the beard of Aaron. She thought that was pretty cool for our family. So that, so we memorized it quickly, but there's a lot more going on than just that. So let's, let's dig on in. A song of ascent of David. So this was a, a song that the Israelites would sing as they were ascending up to the temple. So Jerusalem is uh, is built on a mountain. A lot of pilgrims would have to travel from, uh, from Galilee and neighboring areas, and they'd usually pick a, a valley to travel through. So there was a couple different routes. There was the mountain route, the ridge route, but you had to really know your way around. If you didn't know your way around, you'd get into some pretty big trouble. So that usually wasn't the route people would take. They would take the valley routes or the Jordan River valley route is the more technical term. And so as they were coming through that route, they'd have to start ascending to Jerusalem. And as they were ascending to Jerusalem, they would sing this song. Not just this song, but there are several other psalms that are titled the Ascents Psalms. And that's why. Because they would sing it together as they were ascending. Now let's think about that for a second. You've got a great diversity in Israel. Now we think of Israel and we think of Jew and we typically think of just one grouping, one culture, one language. But how many different tribes were there? Twelve. Twelve. All right. Yeah, the kids know this one. They know that song, right? 
the sons of Jacob. Yeah, my kids like that song a lot. So the 12 tribes, but even among those tribes there was diversity. There would be clans, there would be families. Israel, much like Arizona, is a a country with lots of uh, difference or variety in geography and geology. Looking forward to the class on Saturday. But it's, it's incredibly diverse. You've got, unlike Arizona, you've got beaches along the Mediterranean Sea. You've got terraced hillsides. You've got mountains. You've got what seems to be jungles, and you've also got deserts where there seems to be nothing. Each of those diverse places would create small little cultural clusters. So you've got a great diversity among the tribes. And you'd, be, you'd have arguments among the tribes about whose land belongs to who. You'd have all this diversity, and yet, when they were ascending up to the temple, they would sing this song together. It's as if David knew, as he was reading this psalm, inspired by God to write this psalm to encourage this country with such great diversity about unity. So they sing it together, and you can imagine as they are walking up to Jerusalem, singing this song together. I haven't heard a worship leader, a modern worship leader, put this to music yet, but maybe that will happen one day. But it emphasizes how important unity is. God inspired David to write this psalm for a specific time to help keep Israel unified. So it emphasizes unity, but it also shows us how song can unify us. Singing together. That's one of the reasons why we sing together. It is praise for God, and praising God and singing praises to God helps change our heart. But when we gather together and we corporately praise God, it helps keep us unified. It's saying we are in this together. It's reminding us that we are not enemies, even if we have a diversity of ideas. Even if we have a diversity of ideas about how worship should look, we can sing together and be reminded that we're in this together. Have you ever been to a concert? 10,000 strangers together with you, and then they, they play this song that everybody knows. And, you know, the artists, they, they kind of have big heads. They kind of like to get their ego stroked. And so they'll get this song that everybody knows, and then they stop, and they want to listen to everybody sing it back. Have you ever noticed how, that, how unifying that feels? When all of a sudden 10,000 strangers are singing a song together as one, and all of a sudden it feels like you're not strangers for, for at least that moment. It feels like you're unified together. That's what singing can do for us. And so David knew it, God knew it, and he inspired David to write this song to help unify Israel as they marched up to the temple together. Despite their differences, despite the different tribes and clans and families, they could still come and be reminded that they were unified under God. So this is the song that they sing. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So this term good means right and proper. It means that this is the way things are supposed to be. 
Think of Genesis 1 after God has finished creation. What does he say? He says it is good. What is he meaning by that? It means this is how things are supposed to be. So we can pull from this that unity is how things are supposed to be. God created us diverse. He created actually with diversity. And yet, even within that diversity, he created us to be unified together. He created communities to dwell in unity. Unity is how we are supposed to live. Not with division, not with chaos. So behold, how good, how right and proper, how the way things are supposed to be, and pleasant. Pleasant here means enjoyable. It's not just the way things are supposed to be, but it's actually enjoyable. Chaos is not enjoyable. Chaos actually grinds on us. We all all kind of operate with a low level of stress and maybe even a low level of anxiety. The more chaos is around us, the more we operate with that stress and anxiety. That's one of the reasons why people feel so anxious every election year, right? Because when when politicians start fighting for each other, fighting against each other, and start trying to divide the country, there is division, there is chaos, and everybody in the country begins to feel this low-level anxiety, this low-level stress that sometimes even comes through as a more high level. But unity is enjoyable. So not only is unity how things are supposed to be, but unity is also something that is enjoyable. We can take delight in unity. So behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers. This term brothers means uh, countrymen or kinsmen. It can also be uh, defined as brothers, companions. And the real point that comes across with this term is people who live in community together. So people who live in community together, how enjoyable the way things are supposed to be and how pleasant it is when people who live in community dwell in unity. Now I think we get the, we get the wrong sense of what unity means. Oftentimes we think unity means that we have to perfectly agree on everything. But unity just simply means that we live together in harmony or in cooperation with one another. When, you, when communities come together in harmony, it's a good and a delightful thing. But that doesn't mean that we have to agree 100% on everything. For example, Jen and I, we are united in holy matrimony, right? So, so that even kind of takes the unity of the community to one step further, that Jen and I are, are considered one flesh, and yet each of us have some food that we kind of tease the other one about as like a kid food. So Jen, and I, I talked to her about this before. I didn't want to just throw her under the bus, but she gave me permission. Jen really likes SpaghettiOs. I'm curious if anyone likes SpaghettiOs. I won't think less of you. Oh, so we have another Jen who likes so There are quite a few of you. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'm sorry, but I think uh, SpaghettiOs are really disgusting. <laughs> They're one of the most flavorless, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, just lacking total flavor and consistency. They are just, ab- I, so I tease Jen all the time 
on her SpaghettiOs. We don't agree on SpaghettiOs. If she made SpaghettiOs, I would make something else that night. But we can still live in harmony even if we don't agree on SpaghettiOs. Now, just to be fair, I'll throw out mine that she likes to tease me about. Even the name I don't like because it's just so silly, but I love Beanie Weenies. <laughs> Do we have any Beanie Weenie fans in the house? Uh, just, okay. All right, so yeah, Beanie Weenies, even the name just sounds ridiculous and it sounds like a kid thing, right? But there's something about beans and hot dogs combined that I just love. Jen that won't even make them in our house. So anytime summer hits and like barbecues are going on, I'm so excited because I'm like, sweet, we're getting some Beanie Weenies somewhere. And she makes fun of me so much for it. And even just, like I said, the name is ridiculous, right? Now, she can make fun of me for Beanie Weenies, but we can still live in harmony, right? We can still cooperate together. And I can recognize that my Beanie Weenies might not be the ultimate thing. It might not even be her cup of tea. And SpaghettiOs are definitely not mine. And yet, I can still cooperate with her. I can still put her needs before my needs. We're not going to get into all the hows of unity, how we can go about living in unity today. We're going to save that study for Ephesians, although I think that's a good question for discussion later on, is how can we live in unity? As you go home today, ask yourself, how do we live in unity? And then another even deeper question than that is, how can we, in a larger community, live in unity with non-believers? Because it's easier. The more exact, the more you line up with someone on stuff, oftentimes it's just easier to live in unity. It's when you bring in diversity that it gets more complex, it gets more complicated. And yet, the command is still there to live in unity. And not only is there a command, but there is a blessing that goes along with it. If we as a community can live in unity, then it's going to be pleasing and good. It's going to be the way that God created us to live, and it's going to be enjoyable. But that doesn't mean, in particular as a church, that doesn't mean that we have to agree 100% on everything. If, including theology, if you were looking for a church where you agree 100% on every single point of theology, you will boil yourself down to a church of yourself. Because no one's going to agree with you 100% on everything. And not only that, but pretty soon you will kick out yourself from that church. Have you ever changed your mind about a theological subject? I know I have. If you haven't, you might ask yourself, am I truly studying scripture and humbling myself before it? But we change our minds theologically. There's a joke out there, I'm sure most of you have heard it, but I'll say it anyways. There was this guy, he was on a, on a secluded island. He was uh, stranded there for several years. And when the search committee finally came and found him, they saw him and they saw two buildings. And they said, well, what's that building? And he goes, oh, that's my church. And they said, well, well, what's that building? And he goes, oh, that's the church I left because they just didn't have their stuff together. <laughs> and it's so true, isn't it? So we have to learn how to live with each other in harmony, including on specific issues that we don't always agree with. 
So we, we find that living in unity is what, how God has created us, and living in unity is actually enjoyable. And then he continues on, and the rest of this proverb, or sorry, the rest of this psalm, is going to be an explanation or, or further uh, explaining how this is good and pleasant. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard. Now most of us would stop right there and think, this sounds horrible. I hate oil running down my head. There's no way on earth I would want someone to pour oil all over me. That sounds disgusting. So we have to kind of look at this a little bit deeper. First of all, this isn't oil like your pantry oil. This is not vegetable oil or olive oil. This is precious oil, okay? So number one is it's very expensive. Number two is it's perfumed. And number three, it was made not for cooking, but for this very purpose. So it is precious oil that is getting poured on the head and running down the beard. Secondly, this is oil that's being poured in abundance. So this was very expensive, very precious, and it's being used in abundance. It will also help us to understand that ancient Israel was very dry, and in the summer months, very hot, very sandy, and you would start to get, you know, you would sweat, and you'd get sand caked on your face, and dirt and dust caked on your face, and pretty soon, your skin would start to crack, and it would be pretty painful. And so for this oil, its purpose was actually, it was created to be poured or be used on, applied on skin. And as it was being poured on someone's head, it, w- it would actually serve a couple different functions. One is it would clean them. It would help clean your skin. Two is it would help you smell better. I don't have, if you've ever been on a camping trip, you don't have to be explained how bad humans can begin to stink. Well, think about that. Think about ancient Eastern culture, and it's very dry and it's very hot. There's not a whole lot of water everywhere. People are going to start stinking. So it would clean, cleanse you. It would help you smell better. And then thirdly, it would actually begin to heal your skin. Because it was so hot and so dusty, your skin would crack, and that oil would help start to heal that crack. So there were a lot of benefits to actually uh, applying this oil. And so now we get a better viewpoint of it, right? It might, we might say something like, It's like the nice hot shower after a long day's work. You know that long day's work where you've been sweating real hard? And then you get in the shower and you can just feel the dirt and sweat and grime being rinsed off of you. And you just feel refreshed. That's what we might say today. But there's actually more to it than just the refreshing feeling. He goes on, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. So the beard of Aaron is a very specific reference. Aaron was the first priest. And so because he was the first priest, all the other priests will be lined up and and ordained in a similar fashion. And so how the priests were ordained, which ordination is simply man recognizing what God has done, man recognizing what God has commanded, And so what they would do is they would pour oil on the priest. So not only was this a refreshing thing, but this was also recognizing that this is a thing that God has commanded. So we see this first part that 
that unity, brothers, kinsmen, community, living in unity, living harmoniously, cooperating with one another, is refreshing and also something that God has commanded us to do. But that's not all. He goes on to describe it as like the dew of Hermon. So once again, during the summer months, it was incredibly dry. During the night, the winds would start to blow in from the Mediterranean Sea, and it would leave dew on the terraced hills. This is how the Israelites for several centuries lived. They would wake up, and they would collect the dew. The dew would fall on their grapevines, and it would keep their grapevines alive. The dew would actually help produce the crops. Without the dew, the Israelites would be dead. So for us to understand that this dew doesn't just mean you wake up in the morning and it smells good, but it was actually life-giving. We find that unity within a community is life-giving. Unity within the church is life-giving. Conversely, chaos and division within the church begins to suffocate life. It is like the dew of Hermon. Now to understand this, we have to understand that Mount Hermon was the biggest mountain in the area, was the biggest mountain in the region, and oftentimes it would remain snow-capped over the summer months. But it also, even if it was the driest year, they knew that Mount Hermon would still get moisture. And not only would Mount Hermon still get moisture, but which falls on the mountains of Zion. So we see that Mount Hermon would get moisture, and they knew that that moisture would eventually make its way down to Zion, would eventually make, it way, make its way down to Israel. And so they knew that no matter how dry it was, they could still rely on God to produce water for them because they saw the rains, they saw the dews, they saw the snow cap on Mount Hermon. This lets us know that unity within a community impacts more than we think. When a church is unified, it actually helps produce healthy families. Healthy families help produce healthy communities. When the church is divided, families begin to fall apart. And when families begin to fall apart, neighborhoods and communities begin to fall apart. Now, I am not, I don't know all the ins and outs about causation and research, but I do know that right now, as a society, as, an Ameri as a larger American culture, we see chaos, we see division, we're almost all living in low-grade stress. Even though we're the wealthiest, wealthiest country in the world, even though we're typically thought of as the, one of the freest countries of the world, we all see this kind of chaos coming across our nation. And we also see a lot of churches living in chaos. We see a lot of churches dividing over subjects that don't need to be divided over. We see a lot of churches undermining Scripture, and when you undermine Scripture, it brings chaos into the church. We also see 
that America has the highest home of single parents. So currently, America is at a rate of 24% of children are being raised in single parent households. The highest in the world. Now, once again, I say I don't know a lot about causation. But I don't think it's a coincidence that we see the American church undermining Scripture, letting chaos into our buildings, and that as America, we have the highest single-parent families. Unity within the church impacts the larger community you want to see a healthy community, start first with the church. David continues on, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's a lot of debate about what the there means here. Some people think that it means on Mount Hermon. Some people think that it means within Jerusalem. Others would say the there is where unity exists. I follow that third viewpoint. That the there here is where unity exists, the Lord has commanded his blessing. So we see that unity isn't just the way God designed it, and it's not just enjoyable, but unity is also a place that God blesses. When a church gathers together and is unified, God blesses that church. And the blessing is life forevermore. So we see that we are designed for structure. We are designed for organization. We saw it from those slides earlier. We see it when we hear static. Your mind and my mind, we were created for structure. And yet, we see chaos everywhere. Throughout human history, we see division and we see chaos And that might lead us to the question of why. And it all starts with our rebellion against God. It starts with my heart, and it starts with your heart. When Adam first sinned, he was proclaiming to God, I don't want to submit to you. I want to be God of my own life. And from that point on, all of us have at some point shaken our fist at God and said, forget you, God, I want to do things my way, not your way. And when we do that, we invite chaos and division into the world. So why do we see so much chaos and division in this world? Because there is sin in the world. Because humans have shaken our fist and said, forget you, God, I'm going to do things my way. And so what is the ultimate solution to the chaos and division in this world? It is the gospel. And it starts with you and me coming to a place where we realize that we have sinned and sin creates chaos. And because of our sin, we all deserve eternal separation from a God who designed us for structure and unity. But because God loves us with such a great love, He came and He paid the price for your sin and my sin. And all we have to do 
to be unified with God is to put our faith and trust in His work on the cross. And when we do that, He brings us back into right relationship with Him. And He begins to cure the chaos that we have brought upon ourselves. So the first question is, have you made right with God? When you rebelled, there was chaos. You were separated from the one who created unity. You were separated from the one who creates structure and organization. Have you put your faith and trust in him? And if not, what's holding you back? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is something that we can trust, that we can apply, that we can live by. And we thank you that you are not a chaotic God. You are not a God of chaos or confusion, but you are a God of clarity and structure and organization. So much so that you have created us to see that even in chaos. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, you would help us to be unified. That you would help us to live harmoniously and cooperate with one another. And as we do that, that you would impact our families, that we would go home and live in unity as well. And then that would even affect the greater community of Doney Park and Flagstaff. And that through it all, you would be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.